0: Welcome back to the Get Unstuck and On Target podcast. I'm Mike O'Neill with Bench Builders, and we help growing companies, especially manufacturers, improve their people, process, and planning systems so they can scale smarter and faster. Joining me from Golden, Colorado is Scott Zoll. Scott is the co founder of Fair Play Communications. His company specializes in fast paced, instructor-led learning programs designed to engage even the most skeptical leaders and sales teams. Prior to co-founding Fairplay, Scott spent 7 years as VP of Learning and Development for Second City Works, the corporate arm of the iconic Second City Theater in Chicago. Scott and his business partner launched their company in late February 2019, just as COVID hit. So, by Scott To share his experience as an entrepreneur and the lessons that they have learned in starting a small service-based business during a time of extreme upheaval welcome scott thanks mike how are you today i'm well thank you scott as you know the listeners of this podcast typically are leaders especially entrepreneurs and so anytime i have an opportunity to talk to another entrepreneur who's willing to to tell their story uh, i always get very very positive feedback but it's kind of interesting how you came into your role as an entrepreneur do you mind if we go back a few years to your experience with second city to for those who are listening who may not be familiar with second city can you kind of share who are they and how did this setting up this um, business arm in Second City? How did all that come together?
1: Yeah. So I wasn't there at the origination of the Second City works piece, but I can tell you how that came to be. Um, so Second City, for those that don't know, is a world famous, iconic improv theater based in Chicago and Toronto and Los Angeles. Um, and if you don't know Second City, which you probably know are the famous people that have come through Second City. So Anybody from most of the first cast of Saturday Night Live, so Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd and Gilda Radner, um, all the way through to current day of like Tina Fey and Steve Carell, Stephen Colbert, um, You know, the list goes on and on and on. And so if people do know the Second City name, what they know typically are the famous people that have come through here. Second City's often a feeder system for Saturday Night Live uh, and for other big writing opportunities within the uh, entertainment space. Um, so probably about, uh, I think they would have been around 2007, 2008, somewhere in that range. Um, companies started hiring Second City to do entertainment and to do shows. And oftentimes shows are predicated based on you know, feedback from the audience. And so the entertainers would ask, well, can you tell us like some of the things that are going on within your organization so that we can use those as as fodder for whatever we create for that show? Um, and oftentimes what they would hear is that it was usually the bad things or the the mishaps that they were hearing about their organizations and the the actors started to realize well you know we train a lot of these things in our training center um, which is meant for students that just want to literally learn improv but uh, a lot of that conversation was like well we actually could do some exercises and do a workshop for you if you guys were interested which is fun and engaging very experiential and that was really sort of the genesis of the birth of second city works and working in that b2b space i started with them i think it was january of 2012 uh, is when i started actually with second city works at the time it was second city communications um, went through a name change um, and, and our work really specifically was working with um, companies around communication skills So it was anything from how to build trust, how to be more resilient, how to show up more authentically. Um, But what we really found in those sessions was that they were a great spot for people to um, join the dialogue and really have their voice heard about things that were potentially concerning them. Uh, And then so over the years, we just more developed um, work that we brought people into our world. We would equate um, what we were doing and what we were seeing on stage about being present, about being an ensemble. And really applying that to the business world. And that's really how that work took off. Um, I had left in 2019 to start fair play, um, but Second City Work still still goes on to this day.
0: What intrigues me about that is we're talking about improv. Mm-hmm. And that's short for what improvisation. Improvisation. Yeah. And it's in the original it was more comedy sketches and that type of thing. But what is it about the notion of improv? How does that relate to business leaders? Is there an element of improv in what we do?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So the the very cornerstone of improvisation is a concept called yes and. Yes and isn't uh, agreement, it's affirmation. The yes is affirmation and is building. So for example, when um, a cast is on stage doing a show, and an improv show is based on audience suggestions, And when they're on stage, they don't have any props. They have no scripts. Everything is created right there in the moment. Um, And what they have is each other. And they can rely on one another in terms of um, generating ideas, playing off of ideas. Um, Sometimes you have the idea. Sometimes you contribute to someone else's idea. Um, And there's a lot of, uh, I don't know if you call them, axioms. But one in particular is bring a brick not a cathedral. And the whole concept of bring a brick is like if you bring your brick and I bring my brick, we'll create a cathedral together and make something amazing. But if you come to the the meeting or the event or whatever else it is with the cathedral already built, I'm just a spectator. I'm not a part of the decision, particularly when those decisions might impact me uh, as somebody who has to carry those things out. So so the whole idea is really around like how do we work together as an ensemble? How do we create um, focus on others uh, so that we can allow people the space to show up as they are thinking as they need to Um, and then encourage that. So the more we encourage uh, people to speak up, the more opportunity and ideas that we have. Um, There's always time to edit on the back end. It's not every idea is gonna be a great idea, but if you don't allow the idea just a chance to breathe, well, then you never know what's possible. And so that's really where that kind of all comes from. So improvisation, this conversation you and I are having right now is an improvised conversation. You have some questions for me. uh, I, I have some responses for you, but I don't know where the conversation will go. So we're just kind of riffing and playing off of one another to see kind of where things land, and we could edit it, and it could be very you know specific, um, but that really flies in the face of the of the beauty of improv is like, well, we don't know where it's going to go. We're just going to see, and where we think we might end up may not be the place where we originally had intended to go.
0: What you just shared is a perfect description of what you and I are doing right now. Uh, yes, we did mutually agree that your entrepreneurial journey, I think, would be interest to our listeners, particularly the timing of that entrepreneurial journey. But you're kind of showing how you have brought together those seven years of experience as VP of learning development for them. Let's move to this idea of starting a business. You have a business partner. How long did you all kind of Mull the idea of starting a business before you even did so.
1: Yeah, so it was it was not even that long. I think there was a lot of energy and a lot of excitement around. Well, what we started doing at Second City was amazing. How do we take that further? How do we include elements of science as well? Because a lot of people want to understand, like, well, what is the brain science behind why this works and that sort of thing. So we've started to pull in different um, relationships with uh, different organizations that. Have more of the science side of what we do, and individuals who do design work and things like that for us. So it's not just um, it's not just the improv components; it's the science behind. Well, why does this actually work? Mm. And I think the thing that that you know companies find most in working with us it's not just the content that we talk about, um, but it, because it's really grounded in their world. But it's really the experience that they have then when we're there in the room with them, right? Allowing that opportunity for people to open up. So to go back, sorry, to your original question, which was, you know, how much time did we spend? You know, we had probably started speaking in, you know, late 2019, maybe August, September timeframe of 2019, um, just kicking around the idea. And then we really didn't launch until February. And in fact, we literally launched the week before the pandemic is when we actually um, put our shingle out and started to really announce that we were in business doing the work we were doing.
0: Scott, what really caught my attention was a blog post, whereas you kind of laid out a bit about that process. Mm -hmm. Um, What I understood from reading this is that you and Andy, you had a business concept. You had momentum on your side. You've worked together in the past. You identified that you wanted to start Fair Play Communications. You kind of picked a launch date you also had lined up a potential pipeline. You got off to a really great start. And then it all hit in a matter of weeks, did it not?
1: Yeah, it was very fast. Um, and what we went to market with was getting really positive reviews. And we had done some market research in advance, spoke to some you know um, friendlies, people that we knew had done work with us in the past just to make sure we understood, like, hey, does this have legs beyond what we did before, we were trying decidedly to not do what Second City Works was doing. We were still rooted in improvisation, but we weren't teaching improvisation, which is a lot of what the work is done on that side of the house. Um, so for us, it was really about how do we engage and get deeper, um, generate insights out of these sessions that can really point to um, maybe potential opportunities or obstacles in, in trying to grow in, in a company's business. Um, so that was it was really, again, and what we went to market with is different than how we talk about the work now. It's not that the work itself has changed, what's really changed is how we talk about the work. And that seems to had it has had to align with what we're seeing in the marketplace more and more. I mean, there's what we can do, there's what we want to do, and then there's what the market wants. And so we've had to try to balance the mix between those three things.
0: For clarification, can you describe what are the services specifically that, that you are currently offering?
1: Yeah, so we kind of focus in three areas. I mean, our work is it's live uh, instructor-led training, right? And so it's done either in-room or it's done virtually. Uh, where we focus more specifically is around leadership development, um, sales effectiveness, and team dynamics. Um, we chose those areas for a couple of reasons because we're not a technology or because we don't do um, we don't have an online platform that we deliver all of this through, we had to look at like well, where is the biggest impact made? and that was really through leaders uh, and being able to help them see how they are showing up uh, in the conversations that they're having. Uh, so that was one part of it. The sales component of it, the sales effectiveness piece, really goes back to some of the roots of the work that we were doing and a lot around presentation and and storytelling uh, is a big component of what the sales portion of what we do is. We're not a methodology, um, so we're not, you know, spin selling or solution selling or any of those. Ours is just an opportunity to be able to flex as the client in front of you changes what they're looking for. And then the team dynamics piece really was, you know, teams have to work cohesively together and oftentimes um, there's an, an inability to have, critical or pivotal conversations that they need to be having um, for fear of not being part of a team or whatever else it is. So these sessions were really designed to um, take people out of their element, allow them to learn some skills, but in the process really start to have a conversation about like, this is where we're um, have opportunities as a team to, to grow and to be more effective and to be more supportive of one another. So that was really the the areas in which we focused in on um, the sales piece. I would say in particular, um, We just had a lot of people coming to us with that specific need, and so that became a bigger component of the work that we were doing. We didn't set out to create a sales training company, but the need was there, and it was a need that we could fulfill, and therefore we stepped into that role as well.
0: Well, that speaks very clearly into the role of entrepreneur, and that is if you've identified a need and you can meet that need, you'll figure out a way to address that, leveraging what you know works and works best can I go back to the the blog article specifically because what you did in that blog article that I just thought was so helpful to me as a reader of it is you just kind of walk the reader through a little bit about those lessons learned so again you started the business literally weeks before COVID hit it hit and y'all had to make decisions like the rest of the world Mm -hmm. and you began to kind of lay out what were your takeaways then? To some extent, what are your takeaways now? But one of the first things you mentioned was let your purpose be your guide. In what way did you let the purpose be your guide early on during all this?
1: Yeah, I think we we never really changed what our purpose of the business was. But as we as we formulated the business, and part of this was based on past experiences, Our first and foremost goal was how do we put good people to work, Um, just step underneath that is how do we do great work for the people that are hiring us and then the third was obviously how do we grow our business. Hmm. I think we hear a lot of times that companies are just really focused on growing their business and they have this urgency to create it into something that they want it to be Um, and sometimes we just have to kind of follow the flow and sometimes we have to create the flow. Uh, and that's what we had to experience early on. So while we talked about work a little bit differently, um, we had to shift to the way that we thought about the work that we do. And really the umbrella underneath which we function right now is how do we help people to train around the concept of adaptability, specifically as it relates in the face of change, right? So. So we had to shift and if we couldn't, if we were trying to teach others how to be more adaptable and we couldn't do it ourselves, well, then there was really no reason to hire us or bring us in to do that type of work, right? Um, but that was really, that, I mean, that was a big learning for us was just we had an idea of where the business was going to go. We realized that um, as the world changed around us, our purpose didn't. And to get back to your questions specifically. Um, And our purpose really was, though, were those three things and those still guide us to this point. And people want to know that about you in an organization. They want to, they get that you serve these products or have this service or whatever else it is, but they want to understand why you, um, why, why what you do and what you believe is so important that they would want to get on board with that as well. And so as long as you don't waver from that purpose or that vision of what you think it is, I think you're much better off. And you're hearing right now, at least in our market. We're definitely hearing that, you know, people that are changing jobs want to know that their values align with the purpose of the organization. Um, so, so much so to the point that people are willing to take, you know, less money uh, in order to make sure that they find that place. And so we wanted to be very clear and make sure that we were following what we said we were going to do, independent of how the world was changing around us. And that hasn't changed. That's been really has been our guidepost.
0: You have perfectly illustrated the first three points of your blog article. Let your purpose be your guide. Listen to your clients and prospects. What, what are their needs and understand how you might be able to help them. And then you spoke to the need to be adaptable. And you call that flexibility is your friend. Yeah. And it sounds as if some of the things, though, that you set in place early on, has still stuck with you, though you've had to be somewhat um, adaptable. You know, we opened this conversation talking about improv, and there's something about I just marvel at the literal creativity that these professional improv people are able to do. They they, they take whatever's thrown their way and they go with it. Um, tell me a little more about this notion of creativity is the elimination of options. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so there's um, that came that 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 was a an idea that had occurred in my career very early on, is that um, there's a there's an old and I'm not gonna I'm gonna butcher this story, but there's a, a story and I believe it's around um, the invention of the light bulb and Thomas Edison and and he had tried a hundred different ways in order to make the light bulb work, um, and he was given some grief for you know that it took him you know a hundred tries to get it. Uh, and essentially, the response is, "Well, I just figured out 99 ways not to do it, right?" So while we all have an idea of where we want to go, how we get there doesn't always align with our vision for what that is, right? So, so being able to um, being able to step into like this is how I think it's going to get done. If it doesn't work that way, you just learned one way not to do it, right? And it'll guide you back to what your original idea was. The fewer options that we have, the more creative we have to become. Hmm. Uh, and that really is what that concept is about is that that creativity is elimination of options. If I only have two choices to go, well, how do I, how do I make my choice or how do I, um, how do I create the right path when I'm limited in the options that I have? And that's really what that's in reference to. So the fewer options we have, the more creative we have to become. And that's, that's really, it's a guide for improvisers. It's a guide for me. It's a guide for you. It's a guide for life, quite frankly.
0: You know, we're talking primarily in the context of you a business owner, a co-founder, a business owner um, who started a business with a business partner uh, at a time that the world shut down. But you've shared thus far that the original ideas in terms of the purpose, those really have held true even to this point. You have stressed the importance of listening, listening well to your clients. your prospects and that when you are mindful that things need to be uh, adapted on the fly you mentioned i think sales training that was not necessarily what you envisioned initially but it's now a key component of your offering based on what clients have asked for Mm -hmm. you've also kind of pointed out that creativity creativity And and you're right, the creativity is the elimination of options. But in doing so, uh, it might even open up possibilities. But as you've kind of experienced this over the last, what is this now, I I lose track of time. Uh, We're recording this in mid-May of 2022. COVID hit in earnest in what, February of 2019? 1920, uh, I guess, yeah. 1920. Yeah. That being said, um, you clearly, as a business owner, had setbacks. Mm-hmm. And when you experience setbacks as a business um, owner, um, you write, there's always tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Is that referencing setbacks, or what is that referencing?
1: Yeah, so it's a really good question. There's It's something that's come up a lot for us as we're now two years into this business is this Sense of urgency, like that, that, that we keep hearing other companies have this sense of urgency. And it's like, well, I'd rather do it right than do it early. You know what mm. I mean? so So, for us, like, I didn't, may not have had something yesterday, but now I feel like I need it today. And therefore, it creates this sense of urgency, which just creates frustration and creates like, um us moving maybe quicker than we need to and, and i'm not saying there isn't a place for urgency like if you're in a burning building and you need to get out quick there's a sense of urgency but at the same time we create urgency without really thinking through like well, how is this how is my um uh, how how is me being hasty going to help me in the long run it's only going to create more time that i have to do the work that i thought i was getting to in the first place because I've created this false sense of urgency, like in the work that I'm doing. And so for us, you know, just to go back to your point about creating the sales vertical within what we do, I mean, that was literally just sitting down, listening to what clients wanted. We had urgency around creating the other components of our business, but this piece popped up um, and we sat back and observed it and tried to work with it a little bit here and there. We found out that it had you know, some crazy legs that we needed to pursue. And that really kind of brought in for as well. And with sales teams in particular, there is a sense of urgency. You only have so much time to make your sales and to do everything else. But your timeline as a salesperson is very different than the need of, of your client and their sense of urgency. So how are you creating value for them while also not overwhelming them and inundating them with information that maybe isn't pertinent to them at that moment. So not sure if that fully answers your question, but but that's something that we've seen in terms of like sense of urgency as it relates to creativity as it relates to um, being flexible I mean there's just a lot of it is about there's there's a again there's another axiom in the improv world that says play the scene you're in not the scene you want to be in Hmm. what they mean by that is if you're trying so hard to direct something um, without really understanding what the flow is that you're in right at that moment you're going to end up missing opportunities you're going to end up you know, potentially alienating you know, employees or clients in the process just because you had a destination that you were trying to get to when that's not the way that the world was heading at that time.
0: Yeah, I immediately thought of a kind of a sales situation, so keep your business owner hat on for a moment. Sure. You're talking to a prospect and the expression play the scene that you're in, is that the right term? that you may want to change the scenario, but by playing the scene that you're in, in what ways does that strengthen the relationship building? In what ways does that strengthen the the sales process for a, a better outcome?
1: Yeah, so the two things that pop up there specifically are curiosity. So like I may have, as a salesperson, I may have an intent when I go in, which is to talk about X, Y, and Z but that's not the conversation that the individual that's in front of me wants to have. So if I'm able just to close the laptop, start asking questions to get to the why behind what they're asking for specifically, and then maybe be able to figure out does what I'm offering currently align? I'm now meeting my client where they're at, not where I'm at or where I'm trying to get them to, um, ultimately, but we may end up getting to that same spot. And it was all a matter of just taking the time to listen, to stay curious, to offer them solutions and suggestions that are relevant to them right there in the moment where they are versus what I have to offer. What I have to offer may be the right solution. I just may not be wrapping it in the right way. I may not be presenting it in the right fashion. So if I can just stay curious, show that I'm interested if I'm listening to understand versus listening to respond, which is something else that we work through and with clients in particular, because we tend to stop listening when we think we have the gist of what's being said. And oftentimes we miss vital information. So if we're able to just put aside the presentation, sit down and ask those questions, well, why is that important to you? What is the impact that that's having on your organization? The more we can understand that information is a gift to us and helps us craft how we want to show up more effectively in that conversation. And that's really what, and it builds trust. Like at the end of the day, it shows that you are listening to what that individual wants, uh, and they're more likely to probably a share with you you probably utilize your service because they're like at least somebody spent the time with me to really get to understand where my concerns were and how best to meet those needs
0: so scott you and i had a one-on-one whereas i just was interested to get to know you a bit better it was really not my intent to invite you to be a podcast guest but as i got to know you better i saw you model what you just described mm-hmm. and I, you showed curiosity you asked good questions of of me and you seemed very genuine in the way you did so Mm -hmm. you use an expression there a moment ago that really stuck with me and that is you're in a quote presentation Mm -hmm. but you said sometimes what you need to do is close the laptop Mm -hmm. that is a powerful image but by closing the laptop that act alone is signaling I'm no longer on script. I'm trying to be fully present with you mm-hmm. to truly understand. Um, that struck me as just be a powerful way to build trust, to build relationship. Whereas in that conversation, it may be that what they need and what you all offer is not a good fit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you've invested in the relationship. And it may be that what you offer is not a good fit now. Mm-hmm. But I'm kind of, I'm intrigued by what you said and how you said it, and perhaps more importantly, how genuine you are in doing that. Yeah. Um, you are compelled, if you're doing sales training, mm-hmm. uh, to walk the talk. I've heard wow. it described, you have to kind of eat your own dog food, is what wow. I've heard. Is what we're describing right now, is that sometimes hard as a, as a business owner? You want to grow the business, but do you find yourself having to stop think about what is it we're trying to do, even for your own company, Fair Play?
1: Yeah, yeah, I and mean, that's a great question. You know, well, a lot of times, like, again, it's a matter of testing your assumptions. Like, our assumption is that it's gonna do this and we want it to grow that way. Um, and as long as we don't try so hard to force it in that direction, but just really pay attention to, like, where that's going, whether it's in an individual conversation one-on-one, whether it's in a conversation like with a potential client, whether it's in a conversation with my my, par- my partners in the business, um, I have my ideas, I have my beliefs, and I can share those at any point. What I wanna know first is like, what's your opinion, what's your belief, where are you coming from? And then I can align that with, well, here's the way that I was thinking about it. We do a lot of checking in as well um, mm. when we're talking to one another. It's, it's a matter of just literally stopping and saying, okay, here's what I'm hearing, is that correct? Because just because I say something doesn't mean that it's landing on you the way that I intended it. And so in a lot of the work that we do, a lot of what we talk about is that intention versus action in the work that we do. My intentions are usually how I judge myself. My actions are going to be how you judge me. And so if those two things don't align in the process. We have a problem, right? There's a disconnect. There's cognitive dissonance. For whether again, whether it's an internal conversation with an employee or a leader, or an external conversation with a vendor, or partner, or uh, a potential client, um, how we show up, how we interact, every which way—nonverbals, you know, showing up on time for the meeting, what content we bring forward, how we have that conversation—all of those things are clues for the individual that we're speaking with. Um, if you come in and you want to steamroll the conversation, you can do that, but you're just shutting down the conversation and it becomes more of a monologue than it does really a dialogue between, you know, people trying to understand and get to a common, um, a common place for lack of a better way to say it. Um, and and it's just vitally important that it's like, okay, I know what my position is, but I'm going to be better off if I understand yours. I'll tell you one more of the, um, of the improv kind of, um, axioms, I'm going to keep using that word, but sort of what they are, is, is this concept of follow the follower. And follow the follower is sometimes I lead and sometimes I follow, but there's really no designation point to say, okay, now you're leading, now you're following. So it's mm-hmm. a matter of being present, being others focused, being there in the flow of the conversation or of the moment or whatever else it is to understand, like I need to step forward at this point because it's now my turn, or I need to step back because I, gotta, I need to allow that other person their space to show up the way that they need to. And then we try to figure it out together. Like, here's what I heard. This is my, this is how I'm gonna support that in some way, shape or form. And if we're focused on what's good for the collective good rather than what's just good for me or good for my business or whatever else, it's gonna be a much more productive conversation. And not only there in the moment, but ongoing. That longevity of that relationship will, will, will increase and blossom just based on the opportunity to spend time. And it's like, this person genuinely wants to hear what I say, cares about what I'm saying and responds in kind. Um, And that'll grow your trust and and your your loyalty from from consumers or employees, you know, in an instant.
0: Yes. You know, you shared a little bit about starting a business. One of the things a co-founder has to do is pick a name for your business. Ah. Fair Play Communications. What's behind that name?
1: Ooh, that's a really tough and a very good question. Um, We went through quite a few iterations of, like, what we were going to call ourselves. But... You know, there's an element in what we do, particularly as it relates to the improv world of play. Uh, and we talk about play a lot of times, like in, in the work that we do. And I, I know it can be sort of a taboo word in the corporate world. And by playing, we don't mean it's constructive play. It's play around allowing yourself to free up from the, you know, maybe those ties that bind you in that corporate space or whatever else it is. Um, and there's, and I'm, you're hearing it everywhere right now in terms of, you know, DEI or just equity in general, um, there's a fairness that has to be balanced, and this goes back to sort of that follow the follower thing. Sometimes I'm going to be the leader, and sometimes I'm going to have to follow, and we need to be fair in how we um, allow others to show up, how we make assumptions and, and ideas about um, certain situations or whatever else it is. So it was really just a no, kind of an organic, like, well, it needs to be fair; it needs to be a fair playing ground, but we also need play, um, and so those two elements kind of came together. We had a a lot of other a big long list of names that we were going to go by, but Fair Play just fit, and as soon as we hit it, we are like, that's it. It just stuck.
0: As it should. It's a perfect name. You know, Scott, as you look back on your career, perhaps even with Fair Play, can you think of an example where either you or a client got stuck, and when that happened, what did it take to get unstuck?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, the simplest form that I could say is that we used to have, and this happened a lot actually, we would have clients that were coming in looking to do, maybe they didn't fully understand the impact of what the sessions could have for them. Uh, and we would have stakeholders that would come in and say, this team that we're, that you're gonna be working with is dealing with X or Y you know, concerns right now. And that's really what we need to focus in on. And so then we would design programming that would get at conversations around those things. We would never come in and say, we're going to have a conversation around it let's say it was trust um we would never say like we're gonna have a conversation around trust today we would build exercises that would lead organically to having a conversation about trust and oftentimes what we would find is that trust really wasn't the issue there was something else that was underlying that was confounding that trust to begin with Hmm. and being able to unearth that and get to those insights so that the client themselves could better understand how to make this team more cohesive say for example and i'm using this in the teaming sense not in the leadership or in the sales sense but in, in those instances um being able to create that space for people to have that dialogue is really what helped them to get unstuck because they didn't realize that they were having a communication blockade whether it was between management and employee or we even just amongst the employee group um and so it got everybody on the same page it would allow them it would allow a a checking of the assumptions by the leadership team or the stakeholders. But then it would allow a voice for the people that were impacted by this issue, mostly to really kind of share and to create a conversation around what does great look like? Here's where we are. If we wanna to get to this, if we wanna go from good to great, you know, thank you, Mr. Collins. But if we wanna get from good to great, you know, how do we do that? And honestly, oftentimes they already had the answer themselves. They didn't need some leader to come down on them and say, this is how we're gonna be great. It was well how do you all feel about us creating this greatness and what does that look like and that really would get people unstuck because they realize like as a leader i don't have to have all the answers the team probably has a lot of those answers themselves because they're having the same concerns so we just need to create a place or forum for them to be able to have that conversation and that dialogue and that was oftentimes enough to just jar them loose from a particular way of thinking or being or seeing the world and open their eyes to other possibilities, or solutions, or options that included everybody in the in the process.
0: Scott, I've asked that question of each of my guests. That's one of the best responses I've ever uh, heard. Uh, it really resonated with me. Um, you know, as you kind of reflect on this conversation we've had, what do you want our listeners to have as takeaways?
1: Yeah, uh, that's a really good question. I, I think when we first started Fair Play. If you would ask me and I and I responded instantly, like what is the purpose of fair Play? Like what is it that you're trying to do? Um, and we really talked about how do you give a voice to the voiceless? And and mm. that isn't ultimately where we are at now, but it's a component of what it is. Um, so understanding that you really can't like why if you have a thousand people in your company, why would you not try to activate all one thousand of those brains to create something amazing and special? Now granted kind of, you you're in an organization of 50,000 people that are global, it's a little bit more difficult to do that. You can do it more um, regionally, you can do it more in smaller focuses. And the business still has its responsibility to its you know, shareholders and it still has to grow and do certain things. But if you are making strategy at the top that is designed to maximize shareholder value And the people that have to actually carry that out for you really don't have a say in it particularly if that's not what they're hearing on the street whether it's internally from their employees or externally from their clients Mm -hmm. why wouldn't you try to gather that data as much as you possibly could so you know what we're really trying to do is help people to become more flexible in how they show up how they grab information or or you know elicit information from others and use that as as a as a marker of like maybe it's not the right answer maybe it's not the right solution but you don't know that until it surfaces to understand and maybe there's a component of it that will blend into and lead into um, a bigger, better solution that's going to be right for your clients, right for your leadership, right for your shareholders, right for your employees I and mean, it can be all the way through. So I guess the thing that I would say is that, you know, the more, the more voices you can include in understanding what's really orienting your business, the better off you're going to be.
0: Mm. Excellent. Scott, yeah. For those who want to learn more from you, what's the best way for people to reach out and connect with you?
1: So definitely can go to the website, obviously. Um, so fairplaycommunications.com. Um, I'm Scott at fairplaycommunications.com. Anybody's welcome to reach out to me and ask questions. We're on LinkedIn, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter. So any of your favorite social modalities that you're interested in, you can find us there. Um, I'll even give people my cell phone number. They can call me when they want. I mean, we are we are very passionate about the work that we do. And and there are many other companies that I'm sure that we could have formulated or started that would have you know, been a lot easier to do, particularly in the time of a pandemic. But this is where our passion lies. And this is what we want to do and want to be and want to bring to the world. And how do we share that experience and help others learn from that? And that's really what we're trying to do.
0: Scott, that came through loud and clear with our time together. Thank you.
1: I appreciate it, Mike. Thank you so much for taking the time. This was great.
0: I also want to thank our listeners for joining us today. We upload the latest episode to Apple, Google, and Spotify every Thursday. So if you've enjoyed this episode with Scott, please subscribe. Is your company growing quickly? Are you worried that you don't have the right people and processes in place to handle the increased workload? If yes, let's talk head to bench-builders.com to schedule a quick call. We'll explore ways to help you solve those nagging problems so you can scale faster and smarter. So I wanna thank you for joining us. And I hope you have picked up on some tips from Scott that will help you get unstuck and on target. Until next time.